0: We're back, the Neil Haley show in the Total Celebrity segment, and I am excited to welcome to the show. We all know him from the nanny, Murphy Brown, Charles Shaughnessy. Charles, thanks for calling. Or should I say, uh, I was doing some research on you, Lord Shaughnessy. How are Lord you? Lord Shaughnessy.
1: Yeah, right. Right. Good morning, Neil. <laughs> yeah, uh yeah, that happened about ten years ago. My Great grandfather was uh, a Canadian Pacific Railroad president in Canada and for services to the crown during the First World War. He was given a barony and became the first Lord Shaughnessy of Montreal and Ashford County Limerick. And then uh, it sort of went through all the Canadian Shaughnessy's and then uh, ran out of male heirs and bounced down to, to the British Shaughnessy's. And I was it. I was <laughs> Tag, you're it. I became Lord Shaughnessy.
0: Oh, wow! So, uh, has that changed your life in any way? By the way, Charles.
1: No, I. It, all I have is a very moldy robe up in the attic, and 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 when there is a coronation, my wife and I will be summoned by the c- crown to to come and watch the coronation with all the other peers of the realm. So that's the only thing that uh, changed. There was no family fortune. There were no castles. No band of loyal retinue <laughs> that would kind of move in and defend me against all, all trouble. But, um, but it was, you know, it's a thrill to be part of that name. I mean, I'm very proud of my great-grandpa. He came as a, uh, an Irish immigrant, a Irish immigrant escaping the potato famine and, and worked, um, worked in the railroads in Milwaukee and worked his way up to, uh, to the CPR.
0: How about that? That's a great story. And I was watching the television interview you had, I think, in Australia that uh, yeah. talked to it was a really good interview to kind of give me some background on you more than just understanding the nanny. Now, let's kind of go right. into Charles. Did You always want to be an actor. You have a great voice. So was that the thing that you said, hey, I got to go out and act because, you of-
1: know, it's a funny story. I, I loved reading out loud in school and I was, you know, five or six, you know, reading out loud, learning to read. <laughs> and the teacher would say, You know, who wants to read out loud? And everyone would dive under their desks. Except me, I would jump up with my hat in the air. <laughs> and the teacher would say, All right, Shaughnessy, off you go. You'd want to... Is there anyone other than Shaughnessy wants to read? So I just loved it. I loved reading characters and and making the class laugh and 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 sort of listen to every word I was saying and so when we got to do a school play I thought I was going to be the star I thought I'd be Peter Rabbit in Peter Rabbit and Farmer McGregor and my best friend Peter Robinson was cast as the star was Peter Rabbit and I was just a third bluebird from the left <laughs> and I felt so devastated I had two emotions one was Devastation that I wasn't going to be the main character. And then the second, almost immediately, was a sense of surprise that this meant so much to me. I was like, I had a sort of meta moment. I was upset, and then I was really intrigued by how upset I was and thought, wow, I must really want to do this. This must be something significant. So I sort of worked as an actor at school. I, I acted all the time, but I didn't become a professional till much later. I, I thought by the end of my academic career, I would um, go to college and and study law and try to do something sensible with my life. Uh, But it didn't work out, and I I ended up, um, you know, uh, following my passion after all and and became an actor.
0: So, very interesting. So did you stay where you grew up, or did you decide just to move right to L.A. when uh, it didn't work out?
2: No, I
1: I never thought I'd live anywhere other than England. I trained at an English drama school, a central school of speech and drama in London. Um, But in my second year... Um, Central would always have three Americans come each year to study from abroad. And one of these Americans was a very exotic ballet dancer from Studio City, California. And um, I was very uh, surprised and excited when she agreed to go out on a date with me. And we kind of started dating. And then I finished and went to work in England. She finished and came back to work in America Uh, But after a while of of a long distance relationship, we just decided, you know, I I said, I really want to be with this woman. So I called up and proposed and she said yes. And so the next minute I was on a plane with all my worldly possessions and moved out to California to get married. And we've been living in California. We've got two gorgeous grown up daughters now. We just celebrated our 35th. Um, wedding anniversary, and uh, yeah, the rest was history.
0: Well, congratulations, and that's a great story. So, you guys moved to LA and get married, and you kept this relationship. There's not many Hollywood marriages that last that long, are there, Charles? No, it's not it's, at all. It's,
1: um, we're, we're, we're one of the survivors.
0: All right. So let's kind of go talk about. So from once you got to L.A., how long was it till you got the part in Murphy Brown? How many years in L.A.? Till that? Well, happened?
1: Murphy Brown came out of the blue. I, I for the first thing that happened was I got on Days of Our Lives. I, I got on a soap opera. First, I got on General Hospital for a week. That was great. i had been doing a lot of theater okay. and um, through the theater work, I got an agent. And through the agent, I got a week on General Hospital. And from General Hospital, I got onto Days of Our Lives as what was meant to be just a a short three-day stint. Um, But it turned into eight years on the soap opera. And so after eight years, I've decided I had to leave that because otherwise I'd be there the rest of my life. <clears throat> Not that I didn't love it. It was a great job, but it was time to move on. So then I had a period of sort of just trying to find work and, and starting all over again. And it was at that point that I got this episode of Murphy Brown. Um, and as, of, as a result of that Murphy Brown, the head of the network, Um, When they were casting The Nanny, when The Nanny was being developed a year later as a pilot, the head of the network, which was the network that also did Murphy Brown, CBS, um, said the guy that was in Murphy Brown, he's he's the guy (laughs) that should be Maxwell Sheffield. And he was uh, I didn't know this till afterwards. He kind of championed me as that character and, uh, in the end, that's what happened. Um, you know, he got his way and, and I was Maxwell.
0: And that's a, that's an amazing story because as when you first auditioned for the nanny, you probably didn't think it was going to be that successful. That would be all over the world. And I remember watching the nanny when I was a pro wrestler in Germany and also right. Canada in French Canadian territory, re- hearing it in French and then hearing it right. in German. So this is such an international show for sure. It is.
1: I believe it's the, the biggest international seller that Sony had because it, it's, a, it's a universal theme. <clears throat> Every culture from China to Germany to South America, they all have the story of the cheeky servant who's smarter than the master. And who is secretly in love with the boss? That's those those kind of those archetypal stories are in every single culture. The cheeky servant, who's you know
0: oh, for sure, yeah,
1: and, and and who's sort of smarter than the boss. It's from Moliere onwards, and the idea of a of a uh, a, a woman coming to the door very inappropriately matched with the guy who answers the door. It's the sound of music. You know, it's like when Maria comes to the Von Trapp family. And that story plays in every culture. So it was really smart. They didn't make it terribly, you know, um, specific. It was not age relevant. It didn't have too many um, um, references, contemporary references. So you could put it in any different country, any different time. And it is going to work forever. I, I think The Nanny will be playing in reruns for the rest of time, more than any other show. I don't know if it's a reboot show, if you could remake it. I'm right. not sure how that would work, maybe. Um, but as a rerun show, I don't see there any reason for it to ever stop because it works for everyone. You could be a, a, you know, living in an igloo in, in Iceland and The Nanny would be relevant. You would know someone like that.
0: See, I love hearing you said the reboot, but I don't know. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. As uh...
1: Yeah, I mean, I would be, you know, it'd be fascinating. And it'd be great to get together again and, and, and uh, you know, work together as a group again. And, and maybe someone's got a good idea for it. Um, it would have to be a different sort of uh, story. I mean, it would have to work a little differently. But, um, you know, sign me up if, if someone can come up with a good idea and someone wants to buy it. Why not?
0: Just say Netflix, Charles. That's the one. One of those streaming Netflix. services. Yes, exactly.
1: Well, there's so many now. There's Netflix, <laughs> there's Hulu, there's Amazon, there's, uh, there's, uh, now YouTube have a prime channel, which is a subscription channel. I did a show on, on YouTube prime recently called foursome, which is very successful. Um, and so who knew you, YouTube would, would become a kind of Netflix rival.
0: Absolutely, Charles. And was it hard? Were you typecast after The Nanny ended at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, I knew going in that was going to happen. I remember saying to my agent when we started The Nanny, I said, this better run for a long time because I'm never going to work again after this. Because once you're a sitcom dad, it's really hard to get out from that. (laughs) So it did take uh, a long time. I kind of really had to grow... um, Physically, sort of, just get older, uh, so that people could forget that guy they saw on the screen in the reruns. Um, and so now that I'm the age I am, and you can look at the nanny and look at me standing alongside it and not think they're the same person. So now I'm beginning to, to sort of work as a, as a, a, in my own right. And even though people go, you know, oh, you were Maxwell Sheffield, there isn't the immediate. Um, there isn't a immediate connection.
0: And then you went back to theater, and that's where we are today, talking about love letters. And I know you're going to introduce uh, someone that also is going to be on the show today. And, Charles, I just think it's just tremendous that you go back to theater, something that you yeah, really are you know, passionate I've about. I've
1: always loved theater, and it sort of came and helped when, at a time when uh, things were like a bit rocky career-wise and there wasn't a lot going on. Um, I re-found the theater and the theater refound me and it's something that I've always loved. I love working with an audience. It's what I was trained for um, and you get that immediate feedback from the audiences, a kind of conspiracy at that time where they, they suspend disbelief that they're not in a you know, 19th century farmhouse. Um, <clears throat> and and you can, they allow you to tell this story and they allow themselves to go into their imagination and, and believe that you are someone else. Uh, I just find the whole experience kind of magical. And yes, Love Letters is a magical piece. It's a fantastic piece um, of theater. It's really quite brilliant. And as you say, Susie? I'm gonna. I'm doing it with with the lady that I met all those years ago, about 35 that? years ago at Central. Uh, Hi. She, Hi, how she are you? My wife, Susan, and Hello. we're going to be doing this together.
0: Oh, yes. Wow. Oh, wow. Now, tell us how you met real quick before we get to Love Letters.
1: Go she ahead, was, Charlie. She, was, she, was, uh, she was practicing her dancing in one of the rehearsal studios at drama school, and I was peeking through the glass window in the door, and I summoned up the courage to say, do you want to go get a drink after class? And she uh, eventually said yes.
3: (laughs) I actually was – I saw him in a performance of a Shakespeare play, and I I thought, hmm – I like him, <laughs> so I had my eye on him <laughs> from then on, but
1: um, that's how it all been, started. It, that's how it all started, and, you know, we were two actors in L.A. and both working in Equity Waver Theater and doing our jobs in our spare time, Yeah. Um, but we really never worked together. This is, I mean, we've done a couple of little things together. We did, were in a play together a couple of years ago, and we did have a scene, but it wasn't Really working together as a couple, um, but this is the first opportunity we've had to really um, work with each other on a on a two person play so um we're both really excited about that yeah
0: okay, so let's get yeah. to let's talk about love letters now. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it's by A.R. Gurney, and it's a series of... The conceit is that these two people, a man and a woman, have known each other all their lives since they were children, and they corresponded with each other through letters. They, they uh, didn't like talking on the telephone. They would meet in person, but they established right from the start when they were kids uh, a letter-writing habit, and they would write to each other letters. And so the play follows their lives and follows their relationship through these letters to each other, which they read. Um, so each ca- each actor reads that character's letters to the other. Um, and it's just so beautifully constructed, so beautifully built by the, right, the author. Um, you really feel kind of the audience is... Brought along on this mm-hmm. very sad, very funny, yes. <clears throat> very Movie. moving, very um, um, empowering and, and love the,
3: story. And the letters aren't we're not we're not speaking the letters to one another. We're really speaking it out to the audience as if they are uh, uh, viewing us writing the letter uh, as we speak the words. So it's only at the end that there is any kind of. Uh, connection between the two actors
1: um it's been phenomenally successful Mm -hmm. it's been you know it's one of those plays that you can take anywhere and from its beginnings on Broadway and in London it's been in every capital in the world every city in the world played by different couples you Mm -hmm. a lot of married actors um have played it Mm -hmm. and some that are not married they've just done pairings um it's, it's, uh, it's just a, a beautiful evening and perfectly suited to this event for the Robert F. Kennedy Children's Action Corps. It's, a, it's perfect for that space. The North Shore Music Theatre is the most beautiful space, lovely theatre. And Bill Haney has been kind enough to wow. um, mm-hmm. offer it to us for the evening. Um, he's a great supporter of the cause. Um, so we're looking forward to a fantastic, a yeah. fantastic evening on the 7th.
0: So, how did you guys get connected with that, Susan? How did you guys get connected with this charity?
1: Well, that was really me. I mm-hmm. a friend of mine who worked at the, uh, the uh, RFC um, Children's Action Corps. He had been on Days of Our Lives as a, um, a recurring. Barman at one of the bars, and he got in touch with me one day and said, I'm doing this thing for children at risk in Massachusetts. Would you come and do something with the kids? And I came out and did a a class and had such an extraordinary experience meeting these incredible kids and these wonderful people that run the um, organization and learned about how it began as a legacy to Robert F. Kennedy after his assassination. And they do incredible work. They intervene in the lives of uh children and young adults who are sort of on the on the verge of falling into incarceration and the and the legal the penal system mm-hmm. and they try to take them out of harm 's way. <clears throat> most of them come from very broken homes, very dysfunctional families maybe abuse, a lot of drug use around them. And uh, so they come in and they take them out of that threatened situation and put them into a residential program where they can be educated and, and nurtured and, and sort of helped um, to avoid those things uh, and become sort of you know meaningful and, and contributive members of society rather than just being thrown into some... Um, juvenile detention center
0: that's fantastic and how did you guys and the change is extraordinary with these kids oh it is i'm sure and susan did you enjoy this uh the auditioning process coming to september 7th especially because you're going to be you guys are in la right to get to but so for it's in boston so how long is this audition process not auditioning but i mean preparing for the for the The preparing the preparation Mm
3: -hmm well we've we've read it together several times, and we've you know worked out um uh you know how we want it to look um and it's just been actually just reading it over and over together and um and that's really been the preparation. Um, he's my director, so <laughs> I'm taking whatever uh, direction he wants to give me. The great um, thing with this and is, it's, and the it's playwright's
1: fun. very specific yes, in the, he's in the specific. actual play. He's, he insists on, you know, um, no kind of frills. He doesn't want there to be any direction in as such. He doesn't want the actors to be, you know, over playing anything yes, no exaggeration um mm-hmm. he says just sit and read them and the words mm-hmm. will do it so we've really not had to do very much um other than just get familiar with it and feel comfortable with it mm-hmm. um and then let it sort of unfold on the night
0: that's fantastic yeah. now now susan yeah. uh, your acting career after you met uh charles did you what other performances did you do mostly theater in your career, in I acting? did
3: mostly theater in Los angeles, um and I did do uh, a, a few uh, low budget movies and one one not low budget movie and then i um I also was uh doing like voiceover uh, looping groups. Um, things like that but mostly theater and she has a um some tv she has a card
1: uh, a uh, one of those collectors cards for she played a a resistance leader in star trek <laughs> next generation yeah. so she actually has a a convention yes. you know
3: one of those um collectible cards yeah. <laughs> i get i get fan mail for that <laughs> which is funny um but that's that's been that was sort of what i did out here you know a sort of jobbing actress um, and then, when I had children, you know um, I was lucky to be able to spend time with my children, which is w- what was very important for me and um I was lucky enough because Charlie was on the nanny at that time, so um you know I could be with them and and raise them, which was really, very, very important to me.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And Charles, yeah. best, again, everyone can find out more information on September 7th. Uh, Love Letters, where can they go for that information, Charles?
1: Hey, they can go to N for nuts, S for sugar, M for mother, T for T for Tommy. So org. And that is the org. and then click on events. Current, I think it's shows and events or something, and uh, you'll see a, a page for love letters. And it's Friday, September the seventh, at eight o'clock. We have a uh, question, a Q and A afterwards, and then um, for uh, I think an extra donation, you can then have a. We have a meet and greet in the lobby where you can actually come meet Susan and me and chat about the show and get some pictures taken. Um, so it'll be a great evening, and it's all going to this terrific cause. You'll also learn a bit more about the Robert F. Kennedy Children's Action Corps and the great work that they do. And it's all being hosted by local news uh, uh, personality and, and newscaster Susan Warnick um, that everyone in Massachusetts knows and holds near and dear. She, she for many years, was a regular um, uh, a regular appearance on the TV screens in the in the local news arena.
0: Well, that's great. And so, Charles, best place people can connect with you social media-wise and stuff, because you talked about you had it at your latest project you mentioned, but best place we can find info on you to kind of connect and see what's going on with your latest project. Well,
1: I got a, I've got a, a, a Facebook page, and I've got a Twitter page, C underscore Shaughnessy is my Twitter handle, and Instagram, Charles Shaughnessy. Um, facebook you just go to charles Shaw. you look it up and you'll see there's a page there that you can join and uh, follow me um that's uh that'll give you all the information that you could possibly need
0: well, guys, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Best of luck on the seventh. And I really enjoyed the uh, conversation and story of how you guys met and Charles's career. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right, Neil. Well, it, was, uh, so it was much.
1: great talking to you, Neil. I and uh, to you.
0: uh thank you so much. Take care, guys. Good luck with everything. All right, thanks. Okay. okay. See you. Thanks. All right. Now. All right. Okay. Bye bye. You listen to Neil bye. Haley's show and we'll be back in just a moment.
2: celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more.
4: Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, I'm Leslie M. And you've been listening to Your Beautiful Day on the Gratitude Radio Network.
2: Guys, welcome to another edition of Your Beautiful Day, the Gratitude Radio Network. I'm Jen Hall, Mother of Gratitude, and with me today, we're going to be talking a little bit about swagger and everything you need to do to unleash your swagger and become everything you want by Leslie M. And we have with us Neil Haley. Hey, Neil.
0: Hey, what's going on, Jen? Excited about our guest and uh, always interesting about this whole clubhouse connectivity, and I'm excited about her. And she seems so motivated to talk to, with us today. gonna been a lot of fun.
2: It's going to be an amazing day of gratitude. Pearl, how are you doing today?
5: Hey, everybody. It's awesome to be here. So this is like right down my alley. You know, as a life coach, this is, I love just keeping it real, tell it like it is. And let me just tell you, Swagger, I'm actually, I'm excited about some things I want to do with this book. So I am psyched to be in here. So let's kick it off.
2: Oh my gosh. Okay, so gratitude is something that everybody needs. It's a superpower, but we are bringing you a superwoman that has something else, and that is unleashing the swagger in yourself. Welcome, Leslie M.
0: Hey, beautiful people. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely excited. And see, I love the whole setup. You really, I could tell you have the swagger in the fact. Look at you. You have your books all lined up perfectly with your book and everything and and your whole brand totally living your brand, aren't you?
4: Oh, listen, this is my absolute purpose in life. I eat, sleep, breathe swagger.
0: Excellent. All right, Jen, first question.
2: Hey, Leslie, tell us about your book and how the pandemic has has brought out the swagger in you.
4: I have to say I had swagger before the pandemic but before we we get into all of this i want to make sure that everybody understands my definition of swagger because when we hear the word we often think of that show offy peacocky arrogant in your face kind of thing that is not the kind of swagger i'm talking about i have redefined what swagger is. My definition is it's the ability to manifest who you really are and hold on to it in the face of all of that psychological crap that's going to come for it, regardless of situation or environment. So it means you've got one face, one truth, one heart, and you show up with it no matter who you're with and no matter where you are. So I think that the pandemic has been A really interesting challenge when it comes to swagger, because the upside, if I can call it an upside when we add the word pandemic in there, the upside of the pandemic is the fact that people have no longer had to pretend that they are perfect there. We we know that nobody is shy and perfect. There's craziness going on. You got your kids running around on the zoom calls. The dog is barking in the backwards. You forget to put on your pants. You've gained <laughs> weight. You're, you haven't had a haircut in forever. You, your life is kind of a, a hot mess, but it's what we all face every day. It's just that some of us have spent a lot of time and energy trying to hide it and other people haven't. So now we are all the same in that nobody is fooling anyone anymore it is time to confess the mess and keep it real so that's the upside of the pandemic when it comes to swagger
5: all right so i am just like over here going amen sister amen sister because that's exactly what i i when I work with my clients, it's what I say, show up as yourself, stop this imposter syndrome, BS. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And you know, and if any coach is telling you that their life is perfect and nothing's going on that they live it perfectly, they're go fire them, right? Yeah. Oh, they're big fat liars. Exactly. Big fat liars you yeah. Know? So so for what I want to know is what happened in your life that said, This has got to get out to this world? Like what 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 was that pivotal moment that said, listen we need to get this out because people need to start waking up to who they really are. And I love, I love that you give them their hero name. I think it's so cool. Well,
4: I, I have a training company called combustion and I've been traveling around the world training, you know, top, you know, Fortune 100 companies in all kinds of countries. I've worked in all kinds of cultures with levels of people from CEOs down to new entrants and focused on skills training, storytelling, presentation skills, leadership, and so on. But over time, I discovered this one fundamental human truth, and that's that people do not believe that they can reveal who they really are and still find the success that they're, they've they been dreaming of. They mm-hmm. don't believe at their core that who they are is good enough to bring them the success that they want. And until you deal with that, no skills training in the world is going to transform your life.
0: Exactly. And, yeah. mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I'm agreeing with you. Continue.
4: Okay. And, and so what, what I started to do was to layer, I mean, I'd always been very human focused with my training we're a very different kind of training company super irreverent in your face no bs you know not corporate in any way shape or form and one of the things that i always loved doing was really trying to crack people open in the room so that they could show their peers and their colleagues a little bit more of their authentic selves and get some positive reinforcements and positive validation because that's kind of what sets the whole thing off but when i realized that i went no 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 This is my whole focus now. That's all I want to do because I could see the magic that took place when people could get a better glimpse into the authentic self of others. The reaction was like, oh my God, I've never seen you like that. You're so much more powerful. That's amazing. People would cry. People, we would be in our pants laughing. It was such a beautiful thing. And then so many people told me that the experience had changed their lives. And I went, that's it. That's, that's, that's what I got to do.
0: So when you say that's all you got to do, you figured it out is that there's so many people that just cannot get out of their shell. They cannot find that why there are, And then when they find the why, they just don't believe they can do it. There's mm-hmm. someone in the back of their mind telling them that. Did you have that before So you broke through it?
4: Well, I was very, very fortunate to be raised by parents who really reinforced who I was as a human being. They told me that my weird, quirky, passionate, creative, loud, vibrant self was fantastic. So I I started at an advantage with that because so often the messages that we hear even in our own homes from people who love us can be the beginning of the 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 devolution, you know, the the degrading of the swagger that we're all actually born with. And life has a way of, you know, chipping away at our psyches and all of the negative voices that we hear and all the opinions of others start to culminate. And we start to believe that it's true about us. And our swagger progressively recedes. It starts to hide deeper and deeper inside. It's never gone. It's just hiding because it doesn't feel safe coming out to play with the world, right? So the advantage that I had was having that reinforced from the beginning. But do not think that I didn't face challenges along the road. I mean, I'm a lot of person, and I am too much for some, and I am not enough for others. But I learned that, that as I moved through all of my, the crazy experience and careers I had in my life, I was a TV host for many years, I was a singer, I worked in the advertising business, and I learned that you cannot be for everyone. And if you are, you're probably so bland, vanilla, nothing, that you're never going to really make a big mark in this world anyway. So you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And at least, at the very least, you know who loves and accepts you for who you really are.
2: And when you talk about revealing your true emotions it sounds like we're going to be swaggering through some fear
4: oh yes girl yes there are i i have discovered what i what i consider to be the five key swagger blockers and each one of these is just part of the human condition it's you're, you're not there's nothing wrong or wrong with you or there's nothing bad if you're hitting these blockers because they are fundamental to who we are so Um, It's either going to be persona, that belief that you got to walk and talk and dress and show up a certain way in order to be accepted by the world, in order to be taken seriously. It's going to be ambition. That that driving desire to reach the top and to to be willing to do anything to get there, which can change who we are and can lead to uh, to, you know, negative behaviors that we don't connect with and that other other people don't connect with either. It can be insecurity, all of those negative voices in your head, all the tapes that play and make you question everything you do. It's where the imposter syndrome lives. It can be fear. That, that real, it's the fear is real that if you reveal yourself to people, bad things are going to happen. You can really do a number on yourself believing that that may be the case. And the last one is pain. If you've experienced pain as a result of letting the real you come out and play and getting a, a knockdown or a smackdown, you are going to be way more reluctant to do it again. So you now have scar tissue around that. And it could be from when you were six years old. It doesn't have to be recent, but your brain has a way of holding on to pain and recontextualizing it for the today and the now. So you you got laughed at doing a a presentation on tree frogs in fourth grade because your fly was down. Now, every time you get up in front of people in a business setting, you want to fall apart because that pain is is still there with you. So those are the the basic swagger blockers that will get in the way.
5: I, I love that. I love to tell, I love to share the story about leaning into your fear, like leaning into what that is, right? Because I really believe in that we're all got this great gift and talent that's in us, right? That whoever you believe in, you know, I believe that God's given me these talents. And if we don't develop the talents, then we're we're kind of being selfish to not only ourselves, but maybe I needed to receive what your talent was. So, I mean, for you, I'm so glad your parents, you know, really pushed you in that. Right. I mean, I wrote all those down because it's so true. Like, like you said, when I was younger, I walked in, I got sign in my sophomore year of high school to do a speech class. And I was like, give me the H-E-double hockey sticks out of this class. I am not standing in front of anybody now. And then look at me now, years later, you know, I meet this husband who's like, and that's, like you said it went back to my parents my parents didn't push me to go do that right so I was very shy then i meet a husband who says if we're going to argue you have to be part of this argument because i can't figure you out right and so now he'll tell you i don't shut up right but <laughs> now i go and i speak and i'm on stages and stuff right like jen's heard me speak, and i would have never thought i would do that but that's because i didn't le- i finally leaned into the fear of you know like getting pushing past it and i think that's just so powerful what you said about you know fear is real And it can also be a liar to us because it's, you know, if we don't push through it, it's going to keep us back. Well, my mom used to always say to us,
4: whenever we had, um, we expressed a dream, something we wanted, you know, all those lofty aspirations that you have when you're a kid. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a famous singer. I want to be on TV. And she would say to us, why not you? And she would wait for an answer. My mother didn't play. She'd be like, and why not you? And we come up with, you know, if we could come up with some reason as to why, we weren't good enough or smart enough or whatever, she would break it down. She would not let us walk away from that conversation believing the negative voices in our head. And what she also taught me, which I have, have brought through my entire life, I use it in my coaching all the time, is the question, what's the worst thing that could happen? Exactly. Like for real, what's, I play this game with, with people and it's called, and you guys use this game, it's a great tool. It's called, and then what? So when someone expresses a fear about some situation what i get them to do is to walk me through it literally moment by moment not in this big extrapolated picture but moment by moment so if let's say i'm just gonna make it up i'm afraid of of speaking up in a meeting with a boss that i find super intimidating and so I say, okay, so let's let's walk through it. So we get into the meeting, and okay, and then what? And then my boss starts talking, and then what? And then I disagree with something that he or she said, and then what? And then I say, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that, and then what? And then my boss gives me the kind of side eye, and and the story continues and continues. Inevitably, that story will end up with them saying, and then I end up homeless on the street. I get inevitably, that I go, okay, good, good. You've gotten it out of your system. Great. Now, at what point did that story cease to be realistic? Let's just track back to the moment where you know that it ceased to be realistic, where your fear took over. And it's usually with, and then my boss gave me the side eye, right? So you pull it back to the place where you go, so what you're saying is realistically, the worst thing that can happen is you could get the side eye from your boss. How are you feeling now? They're like, well, it's not so bad. No, no, it's not. And even if we went three steps beyond that, the worst thing that would happen is only three steps beyond that, but it is not homeless on the street. That is not what's going to happen to you. So contextualizing fear is super important.
2: Why do we all end up on the street? I mean, that's my, that's my thing. I love what you said. I'm too much for some and not enough for others. And I find that true especially in theater especially in film in the film industry you know it's exactly what you know and then what and yeah. then what
4: who cares and you then know then what? Exactly. you got to find your tribe you got to find your tribe and your vibe will connect you to your tribe so they is, can't it find you
0: unless it you're it hiding forever. leslie sometimes it will take it forever just because you're just you know you're not getting yourself available for that trap. You think it might be social media in the old social media days. And really that's just a bunch of smoke and mirrors. But with now the app, the uh, the era of the social audio down, now you really can connect with your your listeners and your followers compared to before you couldn't and get
4: well you, all you have all you have when it comes to those audio uh, apps is to speak your truth you can't that's all you got you can't you can't hide behind no, filters get, and glossy and fancy and exactly. you know and photoshop you just gotta speak your truth that's all you got
0: that's all and so that but that then when you find that trap some people find it in specific you know opportunities or different things and they connect with them and you know communities it's such an important thing because once they have it then they know they truly want to follow you And go with you. And you have to just take that chance to put yourself out there to do that.
4: And it also teaches you to be able to filter criticism uh, through the lens of from whom it comes. You know, that's the first thing that I look at whenever, whenever, because haters going to hate, swagger haters going to come. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't control the world and their opinions. You know, that's that's called, you know, freedom of speech and democracy. Go nuts, people, whatever. Right. But just because you put it out there doesn't mean I have to pick it up. Like you wouldn't go to the airport and go grab some, someone, some stranger's baggage off the carousel and pull it down the causeway. So why the heck would you do it in life? And that's what we do when we take right. on other people's crap and criticism and judgment. It's like, It's like picking up their suitcase and then going to put on their dirty underwear when we get it home. No, thank you, ma'am. Not having it. Not having
5: it. So I have a question for you. So you've talked about those great companies you worked for, right? So let's talk about smaller companies like smaller coaches and and things like that so do you work with the smaller entrepreneur that is growing a coaching business per se and then my other question is on your book i'm sitting here going wow this i just love your book it's just so i just read a little bit earlier today but i was just like going i work with a group a great group of women i'm like they need this book right so i think we're gonna do a book club with it yes let's go
4: let's do it girl let's do it and i because i come from a training background I didn't want this book to just be fluffy wuffy inspirational BS. I wanted it to be practical, pragmatic, actionable, doable. So there are countless exercises in the books, in the book because you've got to do the work. You're going to have to break it down piece by piece, blocker by blocker and systematically work through them in a way that you can start to see the change and see the result. So I also created a a 40-page companion workbook to go with it because I wanted people to be able to, I didn't want them to have to mess up the pretty book because it's really pretty. And I wanted them to have not just what was in the book, but a whole bunch of bonus exercises so that they could use that and really turn it into their swagger Bible over time because you're going to capture all of those swagger mantras and all of those exercises and all of the things that you're going to want to refer back to Time and time again. And to answer your earlier question, I work with any and everybody. I've I've got clients who are independent business owners, people who have startups, people who work within corporations, people who work within small companies, people who are trying to figure out what their next step is, who are not working at all. They're working on themselves as opposed to working on their business. So I all will work with anybody who wants to do the work. That's all I care about. That's that's my
0: commitment. Awesome. Good gotcha. job.
2: Leslie, you talk you talk about uh, what to do when you lose your swagger, but I am really interested in ways to protect your personal power.
4: Mm-hmm. Once you
2: get your swagger back, how do you protect it? How do you keep it? How do you? What do you do?
4: People will come for our power in a million different ways. I the my, the, my visual for it is like we are all this beautiful power buffet. Like you know when you go to that good Chinese food restaurant and they have that. Massive buffet with everything that you could imagine. You got little spring rolls, you got little sushis, you got little wontons, you got little snacky. I mean, it is just a feast for the senses. That's what we are to people. And those snackers are going to come. They're going to want a little taste and a little bite, and they're going to pick away at our power if we let them. Now, here's the thing about power. Here is the magic secret about power no one can take it from you only you can choose to give it away so don't i want you to imagine those metal gates you know that that uh, that come down when the buffet is closed and people can <laughs> smell it and people can see it but they cannot reach their stinky little fingers in there to get a bite of your good stuff people will will try and take your power in in so many ways and for so many reasons. Sure. They'll do it to make themselves bigger. And they have to make you smaller. And the more power you have, the more they're likely gonna have to try and take some of yours in order to bring you down sometimes people come for your power because they don't have any of their own and they're trying to you know get up literally get a piece of you people will do it in passive aggressive ways like trying to get you to apologize for something that you should not have to apologize for because you didn't do anything wrong they just didn't like it well sorry that's on you you know, as long as your intention is clear in this life, you should have to apologize for very little.
0: So true. You know? All right. So Pearl, finish up with a question and then we'll go with the gratitude question.
5: So I, you talk talked about your superpower. So I don't know what, what is your superpower name? Uh, well, I
4: am the dynamite unleasher. Because that's what I do. I like to blow people open and pull out all of their good stuff. That's my superpower, really, is to be able to crack people open and pull all the stuff out of them and hold it up to the light for them to see.
0: All right, Jen, close uh, close out. Leslie is such a great guest.
2: Oh, my gosh. We are so blessed because former TV host and advertising creative director turned training guru, Leslie M., has spent her afternoon with us. And we have to thank you, Leslie. And we are so excited about the way that you're gonna be transforming people's lives, putting more swagger into the world and helping us get through our fear so that we can swagger through our own life. And that is a huge gratitude moment. Thank you, Pearl. Sharenza from Successful Women's Living. Neil Haley from The Neil Haley Show in the PR department of Gratitude Radio Network and Your Beautiful Day leslie thank you thank you thank you where can people find you
4: uh you can find me at lesliem.com that's l-e-s-l-i-e-e-h-m.com you can check out the book at swaggerthebook.com and you can buy the book uh at all good um booksellers from the amazons to the barnes and nobles to the books a million it's everywhere yeah it's
2: a huge gratitude moment So everyone, wherever you are, bring gratitude with you. Download it from heaven, send it out. And remember, you're blessed, you're loved, and you're sacred. We love you. Have a beautiful day. Thank you.
4: Thank you.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Hygienizer podcast. I'm excited to welcome Ian Ornstein. Ian, what's going on, man? And uh, we've been talking about Hygienizer the first couple weeks, and it's exciting to have the third episode. How are you? I'm doing great. It's nice and warm down here. Um, I'm sure What is it in Arizona, the temperature right now? 98. Yeah, we're in the 70s. We're finally starting to get to the 70s in May. It's awful here in Pittsburgh and, you know, it gets cold really night at night. It, like it's still the winter. I can't wait till it stays warm all night. And soon that'll be coming a, probably a month and it'll get just scorching hot. And that's how the Northeast works for sure.
6: Well, and humid. And so uh, I better not talk too much about Arizona here because, you know, too many people will come down here and we will be really flooded under lots of people because it's beautiful here. The temperature is just gorgeous.
0: Awesome. All right. Who's our guest today? Cause you're going to talk more about hygienizer and, but also learn about him as well. So tell our guest.
6: Well, we have our guest, Mike, and he's a customer of mine and he, um, is a paraplegic. And so he wants to talk about how it can help a lot of paraplegics and people, um, to give you a different perspective on how important um, Hygienizer is. And I'll let him introduce himself and explain why he said that this is an amazing product for paraplegics.
7: Yeah, I would say not just paraplegics, but my name is Michael Hutchins, Uh, you're from Alaska. And and Ian shared the product with me uh, basically, you know, I'm in contact with germs all the time. I mean, everything I touch, my wheels are t- on top of everything, and my hands not only get tore up and just really calloused, but then they trap all the germs. I mean, it, just in all of the, the rough skin. and then, And so, you know, for just hands alone, it really has softened my hands, as well as, you know, knowing that I got a four-hour, you know, protection against the germs. And you know, the open, opening doors, I don't have the option like a lot of people to use you know my elbows and things like that to open doors and, and not make contact. I have to make contact with everything if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get there. So it's it's been really useful for that. And then we discovered that you know another another real problem is that when we transfer to floors and carpets, we we bring germs with us, bugs that, that get trapped, and then they and then they actually can turn into a fungal you know under because you're sitting on it all the time. And it generates a heat and so the the hygienizer has worked really well to to make that go away completely
0: so. see that's that's tremendous and, and what have you seen when you've used other products that makes it oh yeah i mean you can. just
7: dry out your skin
0: for sure because you're constantly using it over and over again explain that process because you said because of the wheels and what yep. you do you're constantly do you're doing it so at times when you use it you just have really, really dry skin. Oh my gosh.
7: Yeah. Well, worse than dry. I mean, I build really heavy callus to begin with, just because I'm my hands are constantly on the tires and on the rims. Um, but the the hydronizer keeps my hands a lot softer so that I'm not building those calluses up as well. So my wife prefers <laughs>
6: And not just that, it also helps you on the visible and invisible germs, you know, the divisible problems that you can see, but how about all the invisible problems you can't see? And that's the beauty about antimicrobial and the hygienizer technology of leaving a persistency value on your skin for four hours. That's the key.
7: You know, you a couple times a day and you know you're covered rather than every time you've touched a surface, every time I go to the store, I'm you know going back to sanitizers you know that only for that moment.
0: Yeah, because it's not long your... I am well how long does it last if you're using another hand sanitizer? For Ten
6: the... seconds. Really? Yes, sir.
0: Oh wow that's why you is always it, constantly it's have a to
6: volatile it flashes off. And then the other problem is too is not you're dealing with a poison. You're not keep putting poison now. And and you can see with a paraplegic, it's a real serious situation because, you know, under the FDA protocol, in order to call something a sanitizer, it has to be either ethanol or isopropanol. And those all have poisons in them. So now you're constantly drying out your skin and putting in. Poisons very slowly into your bloodstream and in your skin. This is an extremely serious situation for people. And so, what we are is a step above everything. And so, we can help out a lot of people. And of course, being poison free and neutral pH and the benefits that we have that no other product in the industry offers. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, so Mike, add a little bit more to what you've you've learned about the product that you like. You talked about just at the end the the way the product's able to help with, uh, you know, well, four hours. That that just really changes the the ball game, right? In a lot of ways, it, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm
7: touching, i I, you know, like anybody, you're shaking hands, you're 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 in contact with people. If you're going to be in contact with people, you're going to need to reapply, reapply, reapply you know, and have, have the spray with you or all those other things. But I think for me as before COVID, the 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 transmission from any carpet, every time that I decide that I want to leave my chair, I got to think about what I'm sitting on because it's going to carry, but it's going to carry germs with it, whatever were there. And carpets carry terrible germs. So even if I'm sitting in pants, which I am, it's my my cushion brings it to my skin and before you know it i'm back getting you know uh, medicine you know drugs to start killing skin rashes and and so this this product is good for my skin and it it's been it just kills the bugs and so if i if i you know jump out of my chair i know i just wipe it on and i'm done done so it just saves then you would have to wipe it on
0: again if you're going jumping out of your chair to right. go do something and then putting it back in your chair again, you're touching the wheels and then you'd have to apply again. Oh my gosh. It's definitely- yeah. Every
7: paraplegic, I guarantee it. Every paraplegic deals with it. It is just simply what we deal with. We deal with skin rash and we deal with, with hand, hand, hand to contact everything. So, I mean, or gloves, everybody's wearing gloves, one of the two. So, if it's 98 degrees, you don't really want to wear gloves all the time. Exactly. <laughs> so
6: Mike, my- well, not just that with gloves, yeah. I'm sorry to interject, gloves, you have another problem because now you're culturing bacteria and bugs inside your glove. And it's a serious, serious situation. So anybody that's actually working with gloves is basically if they have 10 second uh, situation and their hands are really dry, then they get brittle. And then they start cracking and then you put your hand in a glove and now you start growing bacteria and problems underneath the glove. You pull it off and and it just is a constant drying, drying, drying of your skin. Mm Where this, because it has the four hour persistency and because it moisturizes your skin and because we only have three materials in there with no poison. That is the big deal. You said cracks. It's a
7: really big thing. My my fingers, all down the edges of my fingers, and, and my, at my my you know my first finger, I get cracks all the way down the finger because it's calluses back, and then you get deep deep cracks. And those cracks, then you go wipe you know alcohol on, and you know it right away <laughs> that you've got cracks all the exactly. way. Exactly. Because then you're burning. Yeah, I mean it, it hurts. So uh, not only does this keep that your hands softer and keep them from cracking, but, but even, even if you have them, it's not gonna, it's not gonna burn your hands.
0: Exactly. So last thing to ask you is why
7: would you recommend this product to other people, our listeners out there and viewers? Well, I'd recommend it simply to, I mean, to everybody. I mean, because you're only a two day, two, two times a day application. If you're out in public, I mean, you put it on before you go out and you, and you're done it when you come back you know you're not every it would work for everybody but as far as paraplegics go yeah our our problem is we got to kill the bacteria that are that are getting you know we're sitting in this and culturing like kind of like what ian said you know we create a culture by heat heat and warmth you know and moisture sitting all the time and all of those contact points it's this this you know it's killing the bugs that, that are just natural in our in our just in everywhere we go so I would recommend it simply for skin rash more so than, than killing COVID for me, because, you know, but the, the killing the COVID part, man, that, that's a no brainer. Okay. All Two right. Two times a day versus, you know, 10, 15, 20 times a day. That's so I,
0: where, I mean, where can we find the product and stuff? Where can we go? At hygienizer.net. And it's all over social media as well. And people need to check it out. And more news we'll be having later weeks on this podcast. And I appreciate you, Mike, coming and sharing your story. You bet. Is there anything you have to promote that you would like to promote on today's show? Anywhere to go? No, no,
7: I I just came on because
0: I love the product. That's great. That's We got to get those uh, hygienizer cheerleaders out there to tell about the product. Because as I said, when I grab it, it's so soft when you put it on your hands. It's like, you can't believe it. And you really have to just take just a very small drop or else you'll be putting it all over your body. Just (laughs) running.
7: Just not so bad. All over your body.
0: And then that's it. And yeah. Compared to the other. And it's like, wow. And then.
7: Right. I mean, and then you got to keep your hands out of your mouth or off your food while, you know, anything you're waiting for that stuff to dry. And and then you go, okay, well, can I really even eat with it? You know, and we probably shouldn't. Right. We, do. we don't even know what those dangers are. And
0: I could tell us, but we appreciate it. Thanks again, guys. Well, I'll tell you this. My,
7: my dog actually grabbed one of the ionizers the other day or one of the hydrogenizers, And we found it out in the yard, chewed up. Right. And uh, my wife says, oh, my gosh, you know, what's the deal? And I said, honey, don't worry about it. It's all good. The dog's fine. <laughs> it's not going to get sick.
0: Uh, So we have to find out the stories of people that have eaten hand sanitizer and have not going to talk about it, but you will eat the hygienizer. It's not going to be good, (laughs) but you can eat it. All right. I appreciate you guys. Very good. All right, guys. That was the hygienizer podcast. Take care guys.
2: Thank you.